Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. That world of deliberate and brawling crudeness of one mill Daggett she didn't think at all. Gorgeously sleepy and gorgeously certain that by and by she would go not to a stingy hotel bed with hound dog ribs to cut into her tired back, but to a featherly softness of slumber. She wavered down the drawing room and on the Davenport by the fire with Victoria chocolates by her elbow and pillows behind her shoulders, she gossiped of her adventure and asked for news of friends and kin back east. Eugene and Eva Gilson asked with pyrotechnic merriness about the funny people she must have met along the road. With a subdued, hidden unhappiness, Claire found that she could not mention Milt, that she was afraid her father would mention Milt to these people who took it for granted that all persons who did not live in large houses and play good games of bridge were either queer or common, who believed that their West was desirable in proportion as it became like the East, and that they, though Westerners, were as superior to workmen with hard hands as was Brooklyn Heights itself. Claire tried to wriggle out from under the thought of Milt while, with the Gilsons as the perfect audience, she improvised on the theme of wandering, with certain unintended exaggerations and certain not quite accurate groupings of events. She described the farmers and cowpunchers, the incredible hotels and garages. Indeed, they had become incredible to her own self. Obviously, the silken girl couldn't possibly take seriously a Dolores Clough or a young garage man who said ain't. Eva Gilson had been in Brooklyn within the month, and in a passion of remembrance of home, Claire cried, Oh, do tell me about everybody. I had such a good time with Amy Dorrance, said Mrs. Gilson. Of course, Amy is a little dull, but she's such an awfully good sort, and we did have the jolliest party one afternoon. We went to lunch at the Ritz and a matinee, and we saw such an interesting man. Gene is frightfully jealous when I rave about him. I'm sure he was a violinist. Simply an exquisite thing he was. I wanted to kiss him. Gene will now say, Why didn't you? And Gene said, Well, why didn't you? And Claire laughed, and her toes felt warm and pink and good, and she was perfectly happy, and she murmured, It would be good to hear a decent violinist again. Oh, what has George Worlick been doing? When were you home? Don't you think Georgie is wonderful? fluttered Mrs. Gilson. He makes me rue my thirty-six sad years. I think I'll adopt him. You know, he almost won the tennis cup at Long Branch. Georgie had a little mustache and an income, just enough income to support the little mustache. And he sang inoffensively, and was always winning tennis cups, almost. And he always said, at least once at every party, 
The basis of savoir-faire is knowing how to be rude to the right people, fire enamored and gliding into a perfumed haze of exquisite drowsiness. Claire saw Georgie as heroic and wise, but the firelight got into her eyes, and her lids wouldn't stay open, and in her ears was a soft humming as of a million bees in a distant meadow, gold-spangled, and Jean was helping her upstairs. Sleepiness submerged her like bathing in sweet waters. She fumbled at buttons and hooks and stays, let things lie where they fell, and of all that luxury nothing was more pleasant than the knowledge that she did not have to take precautions against the rats, mice, cockroaches, and all their obscene little brothers which, on some far-off fantastic voyaging when she had been young and foolish, she seemed to remember having found in her own room. Then she was sinking into a bed like a tide of rainbow-colored foam, sinking deep, deep, deep. And it was morning, and she perceived that the purpose of morning light was to pick out surfaces of mahogany and orange velvet and glass, and that only an idiot would ever leave this place and go about begging dirty garage men to fill her car with stinking gasoline and oil. The children were at breakfast. Children surely not of the same species as the smeary-cheeked brats she had seen tumbling by roadsides along the way, sturdy Mason with his cap of curls, and Virginia with bobbed ash-blonde hair prim about her delicate face. They curtsied, and in voices that actually had intonations, they besought her, "'Oh, Cousin Claire, would you please tell us about the drive to the coast?' After breakfast she went out on the terrace for the view. In Seattle, even millionaires and the IWW, and men with red garters on their exposed shirt-sleeves who want to give you real estate, all talk about the view. The view is to Seattle what the car service, the auditorium, the flivver factory, or the price of coal is to other cities. At parties in Seattle you discuss the question of whether the view of Lake Union or the view of the Olympics is the better, and polite office managers say to their stenographers as they enter, How's your view this morning? All real estate deeds include a patent on the view, and every native son has it as his soundest belief that no one in Tacoma gets a view of Mount Rainier. Mrs. Gilson informed Claire that they had the finest view in Seattle. Below Claire was the harbor with docks thrust far out into the water and steamers alive with smoke. Mrs. Gilson said they were blue funnel liners loading for Vladivostok and Japan. The names, just the names, shot into Claire's heart a wistful, unexpressed desire that was somehow vaguely connected with a Milt Daggett who, back in the Middle Western mud and rain, had longed for purple mountains and cherry blossoms and the sea. But she cast out the wish and lifted her eyes to mountains across the sound. Not purple mountains, but sheer silver streaked with black, like frozen surf on a desolate northern shore. The Olympics two score miles away. Up there one could camp with a boy in a deteriorated sweater singing as he watched the coffee. Hastily she looked to the left across the city with its bright new skyscrapers, its shining cornices and masses of ranked windows and the exclamation point of the tallest building outside of New York, far livelier than her own rusty Brooklyn. Beyond the city was a dun cloud, but as she stared far up in the cloud something crept out of the vapor and hung there like a dull, full moon, aloof, majestic, overwhelming, and she realized that she was beholding the peak of Mount Rainier, 
with the city at its foot like white quartz pebbles at the base of a tower. A landing stage for angels, she reflected. It did seem larger than dressing tables and velvet hangings and scented baths. But she dragged herself from the enticing path of that thought and sighed wretchedly. Oh, yes, he would appreciate Rainier, but how? How would he manage a grapefruit? I mustn't be a fool, I mustn't. She saw that Mrs. Gilson was peeping at her, and she made herself say adequate things about the view before she fled inside, fled from her sputtering, inquiring self. In the afternoon they drove to Capitol Hill, they dropped in at various pretty houses, and met the sort of people Claire knew back home. Between people they had views, and the sensible Miss Boltwood, making a philosophic discovery, announced to herself, after all, I've seen just as much from this limousine as I would from a bone-breaking teal bug. Silly to make yourself miserable to see things. Oh, yes, I will go wandering some more, but not like a hobo. But what can I say to him? Good heavens, he may be here any time now with our car. Oh, why, why, why was I insane on that station platform? End of chapter 24